right, all right. Let's stay standing. If we could stay standing, let's pray. God, we thank you so much. And thank you that we can sing out our trust in you and our hope in you, God. And Lord, thank you that we get to do that as a loving family. And uh, we can get courage from each other. Because there's some times when maybe we can't sing those words with the power and authority that we would like to or the exuberance that we wish we felt. And Lord, we need others to lift us up. And I just thank you so much that that's what, why you bring us together is we get to rehearse your goodness together and bring courage to one another. And Lord, I want to pray now for anyone who doesn't yet know you and they're still struggling with understanding you or receiving you into their heart. God, I I just want to pray, God, that you would speak to them today, to every person, that we'd be able to hear from you. We'd know one thing today when we leave. We'd know that you love us and that you want to be in relationship with us and that you would give us courage, God, as we deal with a tough, tough topic today and that you would give us courage to face it, to own it if that's necessary and to look for ways that we can help others in their struggles. And we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Would you just give these students a thank you again for me? Thank you. That was awesome. Just love having them here today and being able to participate in our service. Uh, and uh, all this is planned today is to have them here, uh, the service that we have, the testimony we have. Uh, uh, we're moving into the holidays. Uh, we're going to talk about suicide in part of our service today. And um, We know that the pressure on students is really hard in our culture today to try to take a way out to end their lives early. And so we just want to be able to hopefully bring courage to them, but every one of us. And I'm just a little bit in prayer a lot for you today is that I know that some of us have firsthand experience with our topic today and it's hard, it's difficult. And I just want to thank you for being here. I know I had some people email me and tell me they couldn't come today. They're watching online, so welcome and glad that they're here. But I just want to thank you for all being here and just want to pray that God would be here in the way that we can sense his presence and that all of us would be sensitive to what's going on around us today as we come together um, and we wrap up this series on King David. And when I planned the series, we really didn't plan on ending it this way, but it just felt appropriate. We were listening to God's guidance and made some adjustments along the way and how we could end this series that we've been in on made for more. And I hope you know that today, that you are made for more. Let's have a question I want to ask as we start to get us to think. Have you ever felt like you were barely hanging on? You've been in one of those places where you're just like, I don't know if I can make it. I'm not sure I can hold on. I don't know if I have enough strength to do this. And if one more thing happens, I think I might have to let go. And I'm sure we've all had that kind of experience where we just felt like we're barely hanging on. Well, I heard a story, I think, that will help us to kind of understand that. There's a story about a man named Henry Dempsey. Henry Dempsey was a pilot for a commuter flights that were flying on the East Coast between the small cities there. And uh, he was taking his 15-seat commuter plane from jet from one city to another. It was empty except for him and the co-pilot. And so they're flying along, and all of a sudden, he heard a rattling from the back of the plane. Uh, he knew that rattle wasn't supposed to be there, so he said to the co-pilot, you take over, and he gets up out of his seat, and he goes back into the plane. 
And all of a sudden, the plane hit turbulence. And as it hit turbulence, it jolted him, and he was jolted against the door. And at that moment, he figured out what the rattle was. The rattle was that the door wasn't closed completely, and it flew open. And as it flew open, it sucked him out of the plane. By some miracle, as he was sucked out of the plane, he was able to grab hold of the ladder on the outside of the plane as he was falling out. And he held on to that ladder. Well, what happened was the co-pilot saw the red light flashing on his dash, his instrument panel, saying that the uh, door was open and uh, that the pilot, he knew the pilot had been sucked out. And so he, he radioed to the nearest airport, mayday, mayday, mayday. The pilot's been sucked out. I need to land to the nearest airport as soon as possible. And so they gave him instructions. And so he finally comes down and he lands. He gets down and they come rushing over to the plane and they discover and see that the pilot is hanging onto the ladder. He's still there. He's still there. 4,000 foot drop, 200 miles an hour. As they landed, his head was 12 inches off the runway. He was able to hold on and not let go. Now, the article says at the end of that, they literally had to pry his fingers off of the ladder so that he could let go and so that he could be okay. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you were falling? You ever felt like if you let go that you were a goner, but you were, hold, you were holding on for dear life? Maybe some of you feel like that right now. Maybe that's something that you're experiencing. You're white-knuckling it, and you're hanging on at 4,000 feet, hoping that you don't let go. What I want to do today is I want to talk about how we can maintain our perspective even when life is difficult, even when we're hanging on for dear life to the railing. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and grab your message notes. These will be really helpful for you today. Just grab your message notes out. All the Bible verses that we'll use will be here. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Psalm 40. And we'll also be in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now, it was just going to be on 2 Samuel chapter 22, but because of what we're doing today, I was influenced to change the direction for today and primarily focus on Psalm 40. We're going to spend a lot of time there today and talk about how we can maintain perspective when we feel like we are hanging on for dear life. We're going to look at King David again. He wrote both of these, their songs. So Psalm 40 is a song. If you notice at the top, you have your Bible. It says, to the choir master. So it was given away to sing. Uh, and congregationally, Psalm 40. And then we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 22, which we're going to read in a minute. We'll say it's a song that was written at the end of David's life. He wrote how he was able to rest, even though he had been through some of the darkest, most confusing moments of his life. So let's just kind of give us some context a little bit for those of you uh, who have been along for the series. If you haven't been along, this will really help you to understand what we're talking about today. So last week we left King David and he had, by God's grace, been able to release his failure, his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and more than likely rape of Bathsheba. He'd been able to release that. He'd been able to get cleansed from that. He'd been able to step forward in God's grace, even after he'd also had her husband, Uriah, murdered. We talked about that last week, and we talked about how every one of us has something in our life that we can be set free from. And I had so many emails and conversations this week and Facebook posts and messenger posts, people telling me that they left last week, maybe for the first time ever, feeling clean. 
that they were released from the guilt they had over the things that they'd done. Some things really, really, really difficult. And so what happened is, since then, since that moment when he had released, here's kind of a, kind of a rundown of the things that have happened in David's life. His infant son died just as God had said. So he lost his infant son. His, another of his sons named Amnon had raped his own sister, Tamar, and then he was killed by one of his other brothers, Absalom. These are all David's kids, okay? It's kind of a really dark time in David's life. Then Absalom, because he was angry at David for not standing up for his sister Tamar, rebelled against David and came, was a coup to try to throw him out. Well, it actually worked. And uh, so David and all of his, the people who were with David, they had to leave Jerusalem. They had to move out into the caves again and be on the run. And then Absalom was killed as well. David loved his son Absalom and Absalom died as well. So we have all these things going on in his family life. It's extremely complicated. It's extremely painful and difficult and emotional. Then there was a three-year drought that came, and the, and the land was in famine. So they have to, all this, they're trying to feel, how can we uh, feed the people? How can we feed the people? Then there was the stress of a, the renewed campaign by the Philistines. Remember their enemy? That's Goliath. He was a Philistine. Well, they had gotten back into strength again, and they were coming in a campaign against Jerusalem and against David. And finally, David almost lost his life. He's in a battle, and he would have lost his life as the sword was about to be pushed into him, except one of his men, Abishai, if he had not stepped into the last moment and killed the person who was going to kill David. Well, after that, he's, he's an old man by now, okay? So after that, he was told no, he could not go into battle any longer. He was too old to go out with the warriors. Imagine how hard this is for David. Imagine how hard it is for them. He's the giant killer. He's the great warrior. He's the legend. The legend. He's now an old man, and they're taking away the keys to the car. It seemed like when life would have been easier for David, you know, he's at the end of his life. It seems like now's the time to reap the benefits of the hard work and the labor and the events of his life that all of a sudden he would have been, you know, entering into the sweet spot where it'd be much easier. But instead, it seems like the more time went by, the more difficult it became, and the more darkness there was, and the more chaos there was in his life. I didn't put this verse on your notes, but 2 Samuel 21, 15 says, and David was exhausted. That's his place. He was exhausted. Who wouldn't be? So how did he keep his perspective with all of this? How did he do that? Well, life was anything but easy for David, but David had courage because he was able to still, even though life was hard, even though there was darkness, he was able to see God at work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. That was the wrong way to breathe. <clears throat> You're laughing with me, right? Okay. I'll get it back in a minute, but that was a vocal cord issue. <laughs> So what I want to do is I want us to spend some time today in some of his journal entries, and one of them is Psalm 40, and one of them is 2 Samuel chapter 22, and we're going to look at how he was able to receive comfort and how he's able to have perspective, even though life was difficult and dark, even though he's barely hanging on. So it begins with this verses 10, 11 through 13. I want to share with you from Psalm 40. They're on the top of your notes. David's calling out to God in the middle of this song. 
Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles without number surround me. So it's pretty bleak. It's pretty hard. It's pretty difficult. And my heart fails within me. So he's saying, I don't know how I can hang on any longer. I'm about to let go. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Lord, come quickly to help me. So that's the cry of someone who's desperate. He's desperate, but barely hanging on. Lord, I need perspective. Lord, I need you to give me clarity. Lord, I need confidence. Lord, I need assurance. I need to know that you are with me. Psalm 40 is a psalm. It's of waiting and of rescue. It's a glimpse of how we can sing even though our lives are in the pit. What we do and how we sing a new song is what we're going to talk about today, even when it feels like our lives are falling apart. So I'm going to give you three ideas from Psalm 40. And the first one is this. I can maintain perspective when I remember what God has done. When I remember what God has done. So it begins, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. And in our English translations, in order to make it clear for us, it's waited patiently. If you were to look at it in the original language, it's, I waited while I wait. Uh, so I'm waiting, but I'm having to wait while I wait, because I'm waiting on you to act, God. And so I'm having patience, and I'm trusting you. And then it says this, he turned to me. Would you underline that? We're going to see this again in a little bit. He turned to me. So the idea here is this is that God sees him hanging on, barely hanging on. God sees him there, and that God leans down, stoops down, so David knows he's close, so David knows he's there. So he bends down so that he can give me his attention. And then it says, and he heard my cry. You know, one of the things that people... Talk about, talk about when you're going through struggles or hardship or grief or difficulty or loss is that when the person's going through those moments, they don't need advice. They don't need words of wisdom. They just need someone who will listen. And that's what God shows us here, that God's an empathetic God. He comes to David to listen to him. He heard my cry. And then he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. So he's just saying, hey, David's saying, I was able, he's looking back now, I was able to have perspective, even though I'm not in just any pit, but I'm in a slimy pit. Uh, you just can't even rake your fingernails to get traction to get out of it. Oh, not just a slimy pit, but he was in mud. But not just mud, you know, the kind that you step into and it goes up above your ankles and then you can't even pull your feet out of that. So not just mud, but mire and muck. And so I'm down in this dark, dank, musky, mold-filled place. And I'm feeling desperate. And so you say, it's just a picture. It's just a metaphor here. It's just saying, my life's dark and I feel stuck. And I don't know how to get out. And he's saying, God, I'm waiting on you. And what he's saying here, God showed up. God was there. God stooped down and God gave him his attention. So David is crying out to God for your compassion, that he would show compassion. He's crying out for help. 
And so David trusted him, and he's listening for his cries of mercy, and he had confidence that God was working even while he was waiting, even when he couldn't see what God was doing. That's waiting while you wait, even though he couldn't see him there. So remembering, you know, that's something that we do. This week is Thanksgiving week, and many of us will take moments to remember. Because how can we give gratitude or Thanksgiving unless we remember, unless we look back? And we look back on what we've received. We look back on what we've been given. We look back on our blessings. We look back on our families. And we look back on the things that we want to hold dear. Remembering is key to having gratitude. It's key to thanksgiving. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past gives us hope for the future and the ability to express gratitude today. Thanksgiving leads us to change our perspective. There's so much being written right now about gratitude, and I've talked with you a lot about it as well, how gratitude simply rewires our brain. Simply saying, I'm going to write a gratitude list actually changes your brain, even if you can't think of anything to write down. Then you just said, I'm going to do this. It changes your brain in a positive way. So instead of seeing everything as bad or everything not in your favor, gratitude changes your focus from what you don't have to what God is doing so that you can actually see him. So I just want to challenge you this week as we have Thanksgiving that, you know, it's really easy at Thanksgiving to do, you know, kind of thankful moments. And so you'll think of something you're grateful for, and it's great to verbalize those, but would you be willing to spend some extra time? You know, there's a lot of time this week. Just a little extra time. And would you be willing to write down things that you're grateful for, and then would you be willing not to just stop with writing it down, but expressing your gratitude to him? Remembering what he's done can change your perspective. It really can. Second is this. If I want to maintain my perspective, I sing about what God has done. So I'm about singing now. Out loud about what God has done. So he says this. Next, he says in verse 3, he put, would you underline that? He put, would you underline a new song? He put a new song in my mouth. He put a hymn of praise. So underline hymn of praise. So what he's saying here is this. He's saying that as I was in the miry pit, as I was in the muck and the mud, that I was able to see God work. And then what happened is this. Because I was in this place of darkness and discomfort, because I was in this place of difficulty, because I was in this place of discouragement and saw God work, that gave me a new perspective. That God put in me a new song that I couldn't have had if I hadn't have been through that journey. It's a song I couldn't have had if I hadn't have had that difficulty. You know, I just love the fact that we have so many different ages in our church, and I love the fact that we had our students up here today in their teens and their 20s, and they're singing, and they sing from one perspective, but I really love the fact that we have 80-year-olds who sing their guts out because they know they've been there. Their faith has been tested, and it's real, and they're singing from a place of true understanding. They know what it's like to have a new song. New song, do you know what that means? It's a song I've never had before. So a song I've never had before. So I didn't know about these things until I went through this darkness and difficulty, and then God put this new song in me. And what's the new song? It's praise to God. I'm singing praise to him for what he's done, for how he's been faithful to me. So out of my pain and my suffering, God has used that to give me a new perspective, and he's, I express it through my new song. That's why I love when we sing together. Really love it when we sing together. 
Because what we're doing is we're all singing out of our perspectives. We're all singing out of what God's doing in our soul, our deepest longing. That's why one song will have meaning to one person, another song will have meaning to another person. And it's all because we're in process of understanding God and we're expressing it out loud with, to each other. And as we express it out loud, we actually encourage each other. Encourage each other in him. He put a new song. A new song came when I was in the valley of the shadow of death. Out of that came a new song. Then he goes on to say this. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him because of the song. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, it would just be too many to declare. He's praising God. He's saying, but there's so much to talk about, God. I just can't do it all. I just can't do it all. And I read this this week. I thought it fit really well. Someone has said that the quickest way to get back on your feet is to get down on your knees. Quickest way to get back on your feet is to get down on your knees. And that's exactly what David does. Exactly what he does. Now, we're going to take a break here in this message. And we're going to hear a personal story uh, from my dear friends, Chris and Melissa Schmidt. They're going to come today, and they're going to talk to us about their life and their journey since July of 2018, when their son Austin took his life. Their story's real, it's raw, it's in the middle, it's in process. So I want to invite you, if you would, to just give them a warm welcome as they come. No, he's got it. So as we share today, I'm thankful that God gave me the love of my life and my soulmate to walk through this incredibly difficult time. Um, I want you to hear the strength of Melissa's words more than what I have to say. Um, I can't count the number of times in the last 16 months where God, through Melissa, has just reminded me to just relax lay back in his arms and rest and let him handle what we're going through. It would have been easy for me to put some type of, of measurement on losing my son, that it was somehow greater than somebody else's. And that's where I thought I was, maybe for about a month or two. But then God started showing me a different story. He started showing me that grief, like love, is unique. And that whether it was somebody that lost a house or lost a pet or lost their job or had a relationship that was breaking apart, that that person was experiencing something that was tearing their, their heart apart and that he was there for them just as much as he's there for me in, in my loss. And so what God did in my life through this last 16 months was he just taught me empathy. It was a lesson I needed to hear. And it was something he says, just listen. There are so many people that need me, not just you. 
So I'm thankful he only gave me one thought to the thing, and he knows who's wiser in our family, because she's got a lot more to say to you. But honestly, Melissa's my inspiration. She has just jumped into his arms, arms so wholeheartedly that I think you're going to see that the peace of, and hope that he brings is just incredible. So the last time, the last time I stood on this stage was 16 months ago. As I looked out at a sea of over 400 stunned and tearful faces, I eulogized my 16-year-old son who had taken his life just eight days before. What does a mother say? to his friends, to his classmates, to their families in this difficult time. And at this point, I was still in shock and just trying to do the next right thing. I had been a believer for 37 years, so all I knew to do was to trust God and to lean into him to get me through this unimaginable time. But as the shock wore off and the horrific grief and pain and doubt and guilt took up residence in my mind. I had so many questions. Why? Why, 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 why God did he do this? Austin, why did Austin do this? Why did God allow it? And it just reverberated in my mind. And then a few weeks after Austin's death, I got to hear Ron share at a banquet and he reintroduced me to Psalm 40. I saw it in a whole new light. And God really spoke to me. It was pivotal in, in my journey for recovery. The first two verses say, I waited, and this is, I have a little bit of a different version than Ron. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. I clung to those verses. I memorized them. I visualized them. And I prayed them to the Lord. Every day I asked God to just lift me out of that pit of despair and to set my feet on solid ground and to steady me as I walked along. And he did. As a way of dealing with my grief, I started writing in my journal and I was brutally honest with God because he knew what I was thinking anyway. Here's one entry. Two months ago, Austin took his life. I'm questioning all of my parenting choices and skills. The pain at times is absolutely unbearable. I can't help but look back and blame myself. I'm so lost. How do I move forward? Lord, please show me. I was in the pit of despair, desperate for God to help me. But I can tell you, every time I cried out, he heard my cry, even when all I could do was cry. Very soon after that entry... I found a tattered car in my Bible, card in my Bible, where years earlier I had written as many of God's attributes as I could think of. There were words like merciful, mighty, protector, shelter, refuge, 
hope, and sovereign. Then I wrote, if you, sovereign God, are for me, who can be against me? Lord, please continue to comfort me through your words and your people. Surround me with your love and your strength and help me to trust you in all circumstances. And I'll be honest with you, I don't remember writing those words. But God was clearly giving me comfort and glimmers of hope in the darkness. And a theme began to emerge through my journal entries that God is sovereign and God is in control, even though my life felt like it was careening out of control. Last year when I studied the book of Ruth, I identified with Naomi in a whole new way. She didn't lose just one son like I did. She lost two sons and her husband, yet she still recognized the sovereignty of God. She shook her fist at him. She told God her desperation and she told him how angry she was. And I shook my fist at God too. I was so angry at times and I screamed at him. But after all that, all I needed to do was surrender to God's sovereignty and ask him to comfort me and, and rest in his arms. Slowly but surely, he steadied me as I walked along, one step at a time, sometimes just one toe in front of the other as I moved through the grief. The first song our first part of verse 33 of Psalm 40 says, He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to God. And I thank God for those beautiful words of hope from David. Because the Lord is giving me a new song. God, in all of his sovereignty, has provided different people to help me through this last year and orchestrate this new song that he has given me. First, Chris. Um, Thank you, Lord, for our strong marriage and our deep love for one another. I couldn't have moved through this without him. He also provided a wonderful therapist at a new day. She has listened to me, cried with me, helped me gain perspective in this very dark time. And God has used so many other people within our community, this strong community of believers. And I think many times people who are hurting, they don't want to ask for help because they think that that means that they don't trust Jesus enough. And that's not true. That's not true. God graciously gives us resources like a new day, doctors who can prescribe medicine and, and family and friends who can come up i walk through our difficult times together. That day when I stood here on this stage and talked about my son in front of so many people, here's how I ended that speech. Just last week, Austin and I had a long conversation. I remember telling him that the Lord has big plans for him. I said, Austin, with your fearless determination, you can change the world. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know you can do it. And at the time, he seemed excited about his future, even though he didn't know exactly where it would take him. I always knew Austin would change the world, and though this is not the way that we envisioned it. As a family, we are bound and determined to use this tragedy to spread the message of hope through Jesus Christ. I read those words on this very stage 16 months ago, 
and today I stand before you, not as a woman who's moved through grief to the other side now. I, am, I still feel extreme pain and grief at times. And I'm moving through it, though, with the Lord and Chris and others that he's brought alongside of us that he's so graciously put in our path. The last part of verse 3 is my favorite part of Psalm 40. It says, many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. That's what I've prayed, that God would glorify himself in this tragedy. Otherwise, my son's death would be meaningless. I pray that no matter what you're going through, that you will sense him there pulling you out of that pit, that you will put your trust in the Lord. God uses the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the mountaintop experiences and the pits of despair for his perfect plan and his glory. And through it all, he will give us a new song to sing. Thank you. appreciate their courage, and part of their courage was they asked to do this. They asked to be able to share their story with hope that it would help, and I know that they would say to anyone who's struggling with suicidal thoughts that, please ask for help. Please cry out. Please. There are people who care and people who want to help. And I just hope and believe and pray that our church is the kind of place that people can do that openly. And I invite you to engage in that. So what I want to do now is to kind of switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about the, what that new song is. She said that this song that God was teaching her. And what I want to do is I want to move over into 2 Samuel 22. And I want to talk about the song that David wrote at the end of his life, after all his difficulty, here's what he learned in walking with God and then God's faithfulness. Now, I want to give credit that there's a book that is called David by uh, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. It's in our bookstore if you want to look at it. He's the one I got this idea from about the stanzas of Psalm 22. So I just want to share four stanzas to help us to understand how the pain can lead us to our new song and what that would be. And the first one is this. When my times are tough, God is my security. When my times are tough, God is my security. So it begins with verse 1 in Psalm 22 and says this, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He sang, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield, and he is the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. He is my refuge and my savior. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. You see, what happens oftentimes when we're going through hard times in life, we're going through difficulty in life, we're tempted 
tempted to think that we are going through this because God is angry at us, because God's mad at us, because God has seen our failure, because God has seen our weakness, because God has seen our sin, and he's mad at us in some way. Or we're tempted to think that God's just not interested, that he's just kind of spun this whole thing into existence, and he stepped away to watch it all play out. We're tempted to think that. Or we're tempted to think that he's not able. Oh, if he were able, he would step in and he would change this and he would make things different. But here's what the Bible says about God. And this is what Melissa did when she found that tattered card. It was the attributes of God and who he is. And it's, God is good. God is able. God is powerful. God is close. And here's the God is willing and wants to be with us. And David reminds himself of who God is, and that gives him a new sense of perspective. But I guess the greatest sense of security comes in these next verses for me that I want to lead us through, verses 17 through 20. He sings this out. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy. From my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me. They made fun of me. They taunted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord, he was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place, out of the miry pit, out of the muck and the mud, into a place where I could breathe. I wasn't stifled any longer by being in that oppressive place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Would you underline that? He delighted in me. God delights in you. You see, one of the things that leads us to a place of discouragement and despair is the sense that God is pulled back from us because he just isn't pleased with what he sees. He just doesn't like what he sees. He's pulled back from us because he doesn't want to be in our presence. The opposite is true. What we've seen in the psalm and what I've seen to be true in my life is this, is that he is leaning forward. He is stooping down. He is just wants to show us his absolute delight in us. Absolute delight. I want to read you these words from a man by the name of Brennan Manning as he imagines Jesus here with us today. Imagine Jesus stopping by your seat, looking at you and saying, I have a word for you. I know your life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin and shame dishonesty, and degraded love that darkens your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship. And my word for you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are. Just as you are. Not as you should be. God, none of us are as we should be. Wasn't that beautiful? That's how God looks at us. He delights in us. 
Now, I know that because you know me well, especially after last year, you'd probably be disappointed today if I didn't bring in a Mr. Rogers quote <laughs> because the movie started this weekend. Well, here's what he said at the, every end of, at the end of every one of his shows. I think it's very similar. He would look at the camera and he would look at his kids in the audience and he would say this, you've made this day a special day just by your being you. There's no person in the world like you, and I like you just the way you are. See, God delights in us, and he wants us to know that message, that he likes us just the way where you are. He's your mighty warrior. He's with you. He takes great delight in you and his love. He comes to you to show you that. So that's the first stanza. The second one is this. When my days are dark, God is my light. When my days are dark, God is my light. So here's what I've learned about myself, because I struggle with depression, and I've been really open and forthright about, with that about you. I've talked about that a lot in different messages and opportunities to share uh, publicly as well as privately. So here's what I know to be true about me. When times are dark, it's sometimes impossible for me to think or feel my way out of that darkness. You can tell me all I, you can just tell me all the truth you want to tell me. Think. You can tell me how I can experience this, feel, but I can't think or feel my way out of that darkness by myself. So what I need is I need someone to shine the light for me. So Melissa talked about that. She talked about the people in her world, the counselor that she sees, the doctor who's helped her, her husband and friends who've come along beside her that help remind her of God's truth by shining his light into her darkness. That God wants to come to every one of us and shine his light of hope and comfort and direction and clarity and illumination for us. And here's the cool thing. We don't have to create the light. He is the light. That's what David writes. These are his words. He was singing this out. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. I've shared with you my process of depression and uh, understanding what I think is my remedy for depression, and it was given to me over many years of this deep, deep darkness that I've lived with. So what I've learned to do in depression is I've learned in depression to ask God for his presence instead of asking him to remove my depression. It's a huge difference, folks. I've asked, him to, I've asked for his presence to be with me instead of asking him to remove the darkness because here's why I want his presence. Darkness cannot coexist with light. Cannot. Light always wins over darkness. So if I have his presence, we will. He will show me the light and I will see that in him. And one of David's themes, I don't know if you noticed this, in the Psalms, there's 35 different Psalms that talk about the light of God. And how powerful that is in David's life over his darkness. Okay, third stanza. When my walk is weak, God is my strength. When my walk is weak, God is my strength. He goes on to say, It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He wakes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. Notice what he says here. He's saying, I didn't have to go to the gym. 
to you know, build up my muscles. I didn't have to go to sword school. I didn't have to go to javelin training. He says, God did these things for me. God strengthened me. It is God who does this, not him. It is God who arms him. It is God who is his strength. It is God who makes his feet like the deer. It is God who trains his hand. It is God who shields him. It is God who helps him. It is God who guides him on the right path, opens up the path, that open space. So God can give you the power to make the changes that you need to make. And then number four, fourth stanza, when my future is foggy, God is my hope. When my future is foggy, God is my hope. So when life is overwhelming and you feel like you're at 4,000 feet and you're just barely hanging on, barely white-knuckling it, what you need at that moment is hope. You need hope. So what David did at that moment was to cling to the promises God had made for him. And that's how he ends the song in verse 51. He gives his king, talking about himself, great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, talking about himself, to David, and to his descendants forever. Who's he talking about here? Jesus Christ. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about his descendants that would come through faith in Jesus Christ. That was the hope he had. There was a hope that he had that he would lean into. That was his song. And so just as Melissa said, they want their lives to be about the fact that other people get hope from their story. That's exactly what David was sharing from Psalm 40, that others would receive hope. And so the last idea from Psalm 40 is this, that we need to tell others what God has done. Tell others what God has done. Let's tell others how God has helped me, but I want to go another step today. Because of our topic, because of what we've talked about. I believe that we need to talk more about suicide. I believe that we need to put it, pull it out of the shame closet and we need to bring it into the open. We need to bring light onto it because darkness cannot coexist with light. Suicide is a huge deal in our country, folks. Latest statistics show that between 1999 and 2017, there was a 33% increase in suicide in our country. 33%. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in our nation, and the rates are climbing. Another staggering statistic, and this is why I was so happy we were bringing our students in here with us today, is that suicide ranks as the second leading cause of death for those between 10 and 34 years old. Second leading cause of death. But there's good news. And part of the good news is this, is that Nevada County in 2006 was number one in California out of the 26 or 28 counties that we have in California, number one in suicides per 100,000 people. But since 2006, we're now down to 20. We've seen tremendous improvement. And part of that improvement has come because of the mission of a new day that Melissa mentioned just a few moments ago. Lay counseling, supervised counseling, trained counselors, licensed counselors, saw over 2,600 people in our county last year. Helped. There's a place you can go to get help. There's a place you can go for intervention. There's a place you can go for therapy. We have the turkey trot on Thursday. The turkey trot was established by the Bratton family because of the suicide death of their son, Michael. 
they, like the Schmidt, said, we are not letting suicide win, and something good will come from this tragedy. So I want to encourage you, every year the turkey trot is one of the biggest things in our community, one of the most endearing things for me personally to be able to attend and go to. If you want to go, they have a table out here. You can go and sign up. You can go participate. A new day is here today at the table if you want to go and get more information, either how to help or how you can be trained to help others as well. So in my study, I want to wrap up this part. In my study today, as I was looking at the national guidelines for suicide awareness and prevention, I came across this quote. And this quote meant so much to me. Suicide is about despair. And the only cure for despair is hope. The only cure for despair is hope. And folks, what that means is, is that we've been positioned. The church of Jesus Christ has been positioned to speak into this subject and to bring hope where people are feeling despair so much that they would want to end their own life because we have the source of hope, Jesus Christ. So the key to suicide prevention is to help one see that there is hope even if they don't believe it at the moment. And the best way to help them to see it is to get involved. One of the beautiful things about a new day is they have this lay counseling program and they take people just like me or you and they say, we'll train you and you can go through a 13-week training and you can become a lay counselor to help others. You can sign up to take that training. The best way is to get involved. Here's what the National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention said. Now, one of the things I discovered that was fascinating to me and sad is that America is behind in suicide prevention compared to other first world countries. That we have taken the slow boat and that we've not taken initiative like we could have when we established ideals and programs. But here's what they say. The problem we have in this country is that accessible, affordable, Effective mental health services are out of the reach for many people who have suicidal thoughts and behaviors. Many people who are struggling often fail to receive interventions that could save their lives, and the healthcare system hasn't been designed with suicide risk in its mind. Notice what it said? It said accessible, affordable, effective mental health services because simply people can't afford it. And that should never be. And that's why we're involved with A New Day and why we help and why we support financially and we give and why we encourage our people, as many people as possible, to be involved in helping there so that people can get the help they need. That's hope. And we can bring that. So here's what our singing does. I'm going to wrap this down with these verses from... Psalm 40, 9 through 10. He says this, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness in the great assembly. We have to be vocal and verbal about our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. 
and not hide behind our fear of what culture would say because we say we believe in Jesus and we believe he's the hope. We have to stand with him. And then he ends with verses 16 and 17. He says this, but may all who seek you, all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Do not delay. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for your church. I thank you for your people. Thank you for Chris and Melissa's courage and willingness to share today. God, I pray that for anyone in the room who has suicidal thoughts and has never told anyone that today would be the day that you, you go public. You go public with this. You cry out. You look for a safe person, a friend, and you cry out and you say, I've been feeling this. Don't let it stay inside. God, I pray for those who have been ravaged by the effects of suicide. Some couldn't even be here today because it's so difficult. Lord, I want to pray for your comfort compassion, your presence with them, as they will always walk with a limp over the loss they've experienced, God. God, I pray for us as a church that we would be vocal and verbal, but we wouldn't just say, but we would sing our praise, but more than that, we would take action, God. Show us how we can be involved. Show us how we can help. Show us how we can be engaged. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.